On this week's episode, we welcome Ambassador of Israel, Michael Herzog. Let's, let's learn a little about our guest today. First, let me welcome you to our broadcast house. Thank you very much. It's great to be on your show. So, so talk about, um, you know, um, when people think of uh, Israel, they think of it as their holy land. I've been there on 17, uh, 18 different occasions, and whenever you arrive, you know there's something special about that. But for you, as an ambassador, how has faith impacted and shaped your life? Well, I grew up in a religious family. My grandfather was the first chief rabbi of Israel, and my upbringing, my education was religious education, so I, uh, I'm definitely informed by faith. It's a strong part, it's a strong element uh, in my identity, and I believe that uh, also part of our relations with the U.S. have to do with uh, strong faith. So to me, uh, in my daily life, in my professional life, whatever I do, is definitely guided by this uh, deep faith uh, that I have uh, was brought up on and believe in. So, so when, you, when you talk about this thing called faith, um, <laughs> someone would ask, how does it work? How does it make an impact? How does it play out in your life? How do you unleash it to make it, help it improve your daily life, your daily governance, even as the ambassador? Well. When it comes to faith, we don't have all the answers, but we do believe that there is a guiding hand out there that guides everything that happens, and I believe it has a role to play also in the relations between Israel and the U.S. So in everything that I do, I believe, of course, it's up to us as human beings to shape our destiny, to shape our future, but um, the faith part of it is that uh, the things are, uh, there's some guidance out there that, that helps us. If we see, seek the right path, then there will be some guidance from the outside. You know, there's, there's no question that Israel's history has been fraught with conflict, with wars, <laughs> loss of life, terrorist attacks, but yet you always seem to find a way to find your humanity, to find your faith, to find the strength to overcome, to rebuild, and get sort of put the loss and the hurt, not behind you, but to put it in its proper perspective. When you look at what's going on in the United States today, the issue that is on the minds of most people is Hurricane Ian. People have just been destroyed. They lost their way of life. It, look, it just looks like a, a, someone dropped a nuclear bomb at Fort Myers. How do people in situations like that, when you face those kinds of crises, when you feel that, you know, why me? I'm already, the economy is in the toilets, I'm already suffering, gas prices are soaring, I can barely afford food, and now all of a sudden, everything I've had, everything that, every, everything that had some kind of meaning for me has been destroyed, and I just have to focus on even the just the mere basics in my life now. How do you, how does your faith and, and help you overcome those type obstacles that not only happens in Florida, but constantly happens around the world. So as you know, the Jewish people have had uh, terrible experiences. Uh, the Holocaust, persecution, we still experience anti-Semitism across the globe, also in this country. And in the state of Israel, we are a small state. We are forced to fight numerous wars to protect our independence and our sovereignty. 
and we are still under the threat of war. But if you go to Israel, I'm sure you noticed it when you visited Israel, Peter, people are optimistic. People look at the future. People, there's a, the, there's an, a belief within the people that, okay, with all the difficulties that we are experiencing, with the fact that there are so many rockets uh, aimed at us, uh, life goes on and we're optimistic and we believe that ultimately things one way or another will, will settle down, will calm down and we believe in a bright future. I think that, that part gives us a lot of strength. So if you go to Israel, uh, people don't tell you, you know, now, right now there are 200,000 rockets aimed at Israel. They don't feel it in their daily life. They focus on the optimistic side of life and that gives us a lot of strength. And that's my advice to anybody who's experiencing uh, difficulties, Has in, have inner optimism and strength. You know, you, you talk about inner <coughs> optimism and strength. You know, they think about, um, when you think about <coughs> Israel, Jerusalem, Jaffa, the old cities, Tel Aviv, when people think about Israel, and when they think about it deeply, it's not really in the context of conflict and wars and overcoming. They see it as a special place in the world. It's, it's, it's a place that is very sacred. People will tell me sometimes, I was just having a conversation with someone this week who said to me, they went to the Jordan River and were baptized. They go, when they go to Israel, they find the peace in the midst of the storm. They go to the Wailing Wall and they find mm -hmm the answers. And sometimes we look at politicians and policy, but the answers are not always there. Talk about the when it comes to the issue of faith and morality and still believing, as you mentioned, that something is greater than ourselves and there's a greater hand that, that is at work. Why does Israel continue to play such an impactful role on morality and moral striving around the globe? So the land of Israel is the cradle of the three great uh, monotheistic religion and they still coexist in Jerusalem. When you go to Jerusalem, this is the center of, uh, of uh, this faith and there's coexistence there and uh, it's a unique experience. Now I think Israel, people tend to look at Israel through the prism of uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, wars and so on, but Israel is, is about history, is about morality, is about coexistence, is about diversity. If you look at our society, 20% of our society are Arabs, most of them are Muslims. And uh, the way uh, Christians are treated in Israel, uh, the freedom that they enjoy is uh, nowhere to be found in the Middle East. In the Middle East, uh, Christian communities are, uh, are persecuted. So I think um, th that uh, gives you a sense of uh, what exactly is Israel. It is about diversity, it is about coexistence, and that's a way, uh, that's a prism I would like people to look at Israel through. You, know, you, you mentioned persecution. How does one find peace and persecution and in strife and in the conflict that we see around the world today? Well, it's not easy. Uh, to find that when you are being chased and persecuted. But I think uh, one of the uh, better ways to cope with uh, such challenges, situation, 
is uh, to draw on your inner faith and your inner strength and believe that uh, ultimately uh, there will be a solution and there will be a better future. You know, as the ambassador of Israel, uh, as we are about to go out to a break here, how does all this prepare you? I mean, listen, being the ambassador from Israel to the United States is a huge post. I mean, obviously, what prepares one for that kind of a role? So this is my first uh, diplomatic mission. Really? Yeah. Uh, I'm not a career diplomat. I had a long uh, career in the IDF, in the Israel Defense Forces. I'm actually a retired general. Uh, so it's my first mission, but uh, I see it as a great honor to serve as Israel's ambassador to the U.S., uh, a great honor to serve our relations. We have no closer ally and friend than the U.S., and I believe the U.S. doesn't have any closer ally than the state of Israel. This is based on shared values, on shared interests, but no less important, on affinity between the peoples. It is not only government-to-government -government relations. There is a very strong affinity and relations between our peoples more than anywhere else. And I think, uh, for me, it's a great honor. I, uh, I was in military service, as I mentioned. I was in a think tank world. I operated for many, many years here in the U.S. scene. On, in political negotiations with our neighbors and, and many other endeavors. But nothing really prepares you to this kind of a job uh, because it's very different to do certain things uh, in an official capacity. And uh, I'm humbled by it and I'm honored by it. And every day when I wake up, uh, I, 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 I'm thankful for the role that um, uh, I was given to play. So why did your country um, choose you, given your background, as its ambassador? Well, uh, that you'd have to ask uh, the no. prime minister who chose me. But I, you have an idea. I, I, I will say, uh, uh, since I have a um, background in both uh, diplomatic and security issues, I've been uh, dealing uh, with these issues beat uh, the Middle East, Iran, political negotiations with our neighbors, the Israel-U.S. Uh, relations. When I was in military, in, uh, military service, I led uh, joint uh, working groups with the U.S. military. Um, and uh, so I played uh, a role also in uh, enhancing our bilateral uh, relations. Uh, in many other areas, I've also been uh, dealing with the issue of anti-Semitism through the think tank world. Uh, I've been uh, communicating with communities here in the U.S., the Jewish community, the black community, and many other communities. So I have some background that prepared me for that. Uh, and again, I'm thankful for the role that I'm now playing in official capacity. Why is it that anti-Semitism is on the rise around the world? It's an excellent question. I believe that, uh, that there are several elements that come to play here. First, I think uh, there's, uh, there's an issue of education. Uh, we are now uh, getting close to 100 years since the Holocaust, and I think the awareness of the Holocaust and what happened to the Jewish people during that dark area is uh, fading away, and, and I, I find among the young generation 
there's less knowledge, less awareness, less education. I also believe that it has to do with uh, uh, also uh, education for faith because uh, those who read the Bible and believe in the Bible I think have a different understanding of the Jewish people and Jewish history and Jewish destiny. Uh, plus um, there are uh, populist movements on the far right and on the far left, left who uh, incite um, and, uh, against uh, the Jewish people. That's always been there. Anti-Semitism is the oldest uh, kind of hatred and malady in this world, but is still rampant today and wears its ugly head every day. We feel it all the time. So it's against the Jewish people. It is also against the Jewish state, which I represent here uh, in, in the US. And we have to stand up to it and fight back. And I believe this is both a bottom-up issue and a top-down issue, mainly on a government level, on civil society level. And we have to address all dimensions of this problem, education, the legal dimension, security dimension, uh, every possible dimension that comes in. It's about, first and foremost, education. You know, you mentioned um, education, and you also mentioned faith, Ambassador Herzog. You know, I, I find it interesting when I read the Bible, uh, have moral discussions with people, especially reading the Bible, it's as if, <clears throat> The truth is, ins is inscribed in my, on my heart, on my conscience. I know not to make judgments about somebody because they're white or black or Jewish, that we judge people by their behavior, by their character, not by some stereotype. How do we ever get people to see the benefit from the relationships we, with each other, the importance of that? Because the person that you hate today may be the person that saved your family's life 20 years later. We don't know, that. there's so much we don't know. I mean, it's, it's inscribed, does someone have to teach me not to hate or despise someone because they're black or Jewish, <laughs> or because they have a different sexual preference? I mean, to me, that is just common sense not to, if you have any kind of conscience. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right. I think it's part of uh, human nature. Uh, you find many people with, with biases, um, and uh, people are prone to, uh, or you can influence people to hate uh, others, uh, and, and we belong to a group that's a, a subject of a lot of hate for, for generations. So, as I said, part of it is, uh, is uh, education, informing people, uh, and, um, and letting people see the benefit of, uh, uh, of our relations as well. I would like to say about the Israel-US relations, we are a very small country, but we are a powerhouse of innovation, of technological development, and I think in our relations, the nexus between the, the power of the U.S. and the, um, and the innovation of, uh, that Israel can offer benefits a lot uh, both our countries. I think Israel can offer today solutions to some of the pressing problems, uh, not only of the U.S., but uh, globally, like uh, climate change, like fighting the pandemic, and in many, many other areas. And uh, so we, we, I think we are a source of uh, a lot of solutions. In, in the Jewish faith 
uh, we usually talk about uh, tikkun olam, correcting the word. It's kind of a, a built-in something into the Jewish DNA that we would like to help not only ourselves but also others solves, uh, solve global problems. And that's what we're trying to do as a state today. We are uh, offering a lot of innovation and solutions in many critical areas and we'll continue to do so. You know, um, when you think about the peace process in Israel with the Palestinians, if you call it that, it's not really a peace process, Mr. Ambassador. Uh, it has been languishing for decades. It is no closer today than it ever has been. I mean, Palestinian leader Muammar Abbas is, remains in charge, and there's really no clear uh, evidence that he's going to ever do a deal with Israel, and it, 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 is Israel's strategy is just to wait him out and deal with his successor? So you're talking to a person who's been in the negotiation room with the Palestinians for something like 25 years. I, I believe I'm the only Israeli who was in all negotiations with the Palestinians beginning in 1993, including back channels, including with uh, Secretary Kerry when he uh, mediated between the parties back in 2013, 2014. So I was in the room in all of these negotiations and, and we failed, and we failed not for lack of trying. We failed because uh, the other side, we made some very generous offers to the other side and they rejected them. And I think uh, right now I don't see a, a peace uh, deal uh, between Israelis and Palestinians in the cards. What we have to do is make sure that the uh, situation on the ground does not deteriorate, that things, that the uh, friction on the ground is decreased, that the window is kept open for a future peace. Uh, and yes, you're right, probably with a future Palestinian leadership. I don't believe that uh, the existing leadership is up to the task of uh, doing a peace agreement uh, with uh, the State of Israel. It is our desire to have peace with our neighbors, with all of them. One way I think we should move ahead on is uh, normalizing our relations with our Arab neighbors in the region. We did the Abraham Accords, which was a historical breakthrough. And what we are now suggesting is uh, for the Palestinians to go on board. It can, uh, they can benefit from Israeli abnormalization, so rather than fight it and reject it, they should go on board. And that's uh, part of the focus of what we are doing here together with the U.S. government. You know, a person who sits on the sideline and observes history, listening to what you just said, uh, that they have been part of all the negotiations and the generous offers that you placed on the table, you could almost conclude that the Palestinians really don't want peace because peace would not, in the long run, serve their agenda. So it begs the question, who and the future generations of Palestinians have any potential of concluding a peace agreement? So I would say that in my experience negotiating with the Palestinians, uh, they uh, they came across as wanting a deal on such terms that uh, could not have been acceptable to any Israeli government, left or right. Doesn't matter which government we have, 
no government could accept their terms, and their terms were such that uh, cross Israeli red lines and undermined our security. It's a very complicated uh, conflict. Uh, it involves uh, not only security and political dimensions, but also history, psychology, religion, and many, many other dimensions that come into uh, the picture. It is one of the most complex conflicts globally that I know. So uh, I don't think that the uh, Palestinian leadership uh, is willing to offer terms that would be acceptable to any uh, Israeli government, not only far-right, uh, but also uh, not only a, a right-wing government, but also a left-wing government. That's where we are. I think that, uh, as I said, it is in our interest to have peace with our neighbors. I know all of them. I know all the Palestinian leaders. There are some people there, I believe, could make peace with Israel, but uh, they are marginalized. And I, of course, do not want to mention the, their names because I don't want to harm them. You know, the, uh, the Obama administration um, <laughs> concluded a nuclear deal with Iran that had disastrous results, Mr. Ambassador. And after secretly building a nuclear weapons um, program, it received lots of benefits in the form of what they call these sanctions that allowed us to pour billions of dollars, billions of dollars, into their nuclear programs. Today, Iran remains a threat, okay, mm -hmm. to the entire Middle East and has shown little willingness to abandon its nuclear ambition. So, how concerned is Israel that our country is trying to do a second Iran deal. So Israel uh, heard its concerns about the nuclear deal with Iran back then in 2015. Also now, as a new deal is on the table, uh, we made very clear our uh, objection to certain elements in the deal. Basically, the structure of the deal, uh, as you mentioned correctly, is that Iran is allowed to keep its uh, nuclear ambitions, it is allowed to keep its nuclear infrastructure, and the deal essentially kicks the can down the road. We are buying some time, but ultimately with sunsets that are built in to this deal, uh, most limitations on the Iranian nuclear program will be lifted and Iran will be legitimized as a nuclear threshold state. And that is unbearable to say the state of Israel, and we said time and again that we will not allow this uh, to happen. Uh, the differences between us and the administration are well known. They are no secret. We have a very close dialogue. We know exactly where we stand. We know what we agree on. We know what we disagree on. I don't see a deal uh, uh, right now in the very near future uh, coming through uh, for a variety of reasons, uh, but, but we'll have to wait and see. But look at the nature of this regime. Look what's happening today inside Iran. Look at the demonstrations. They erupted like three weeks ago when the regime, the so-called morality police, arrested a 22-year uh, girl because she did not wear properly her headscarf, and she was probably beaten to death. And that sparked uh, the unrest and demonstrations and protests inside Iran, which is persistent. It's been going on for several weeks now. And this time, it's not about the economic condition. It's not about 
the salaries or well-being of the people. It's about basic freedoms. And the regime represses them violently. They killed already about 100 people. So this is a type of regime you want to do a deal with. Look at what they are doing. And how can you accept any peace deal with a state that you know their word is meaningless? Yes, I agree. I, I don't think, uh, I would not take them for their word. Uh, I would not buy a used car from them. I, we just don't trust their word. And, and there's a long record to substantiate that. Yeah, so briefly, because I, I respect you as a diplomat, then why would our country engage in such? What is it that we cannot see? Well, uh, it's, we, as I said, we have a very close dialogue with the administration. They believe that there is merit. I'm not going to speak on their behalf. They believe there's merit in uh, doing a deal, at least buying a few years, and that the alternative of not doing a deal may be worse because Iran will continue to develop its own uh, program to dangerous levels. Uh, there is, um, I would say, a very deep uh, policy discussion uh, between these two options of doing this deal or doing no deal uh, whatsoever. I think uh, we all agree on the notion that um, uh, no deal is better than a bad deal, but we have different interpretation of what constitutes a bad deal. You know, your military background has given you so much insights about the world, not just in your beloved Israel. You know, the world from Ukraine, Russia, Tehran, Syria, Brazil, it seems like the world is just on fire. It seems like the world is in such chaos. North Korea, flying those missiles across Japan, China, Taiwan, our Speaker of the House going to Taiwan, and they've not stopped um, their anger about the fact that they feel that we would come to Taiwan's defense. From your perspective as a general, how do you put the world in perspective? So I agree when you say that the world is in fire, we see the war in Ukraine, we see what's happening in other parts of the world, and I think you can draw several, uh, draw several conclusions. I think um, uh, one conclusion is that uh, forces of the free world share, sh should come together, join hands in fighting back against uh, uh, areas of instability, of, um, of war and uh, threat to our national security. I believe that uh, Israel, it also underscores the importance of the alliance between Israel and the United States because when you have such uh, instability globally, and you have the eruption of violence and areas of conflict as we see today, uh, the United States should uh, cooperate with partners, with allies, with like-minded uh, allies, and Israel is a major one of them. Uh, we, are, we represent an anchor of stability, of functionality. We are a democracy in an undemocratic uh, region and uh, the U.S. could rely on such allies as Israel and others uh, globally, 
I think uh, this scene that we see globally of war, uh, as you said, war, uh, the world is on fire, uh, <coughs> underscores the importance of uh, those anchors of stability such as Israel and the alliance between Israel and the United States. As a general, because you know there's a lot of <coughs> propaganda from the United States media, Ukrainian media, the Russian media, and they says all of a sudden Ukraine is taking back the provinces. Ukraine is winning again. Putin is vulnerable. What is the truth from your perspective as a general as you watch this unfold? Uh, unfortunately, I believe it's going to be a long protracted uh, war. I don't see a clear, uh, swift decision on any of the sides. Both of them have vulnerability. Russia is a superpower, but at the same time, I think all of us, myself included, overestimated its military performance. Uh, but Ukraine is also very uh, vulnerable, and uh, that's why, fortunately, I think uh, this is going to, uh, to be long. I, it's very hard to see a diplomatic exit, because uh, in my view, on the one hand, it's very hard to see uh, President Putin uh, stopping the war without being able to show for some achievements. And the, the, on the other hand, I don't see the other side uh, wanting to uh, have Putin finish this war with, with gains. So it's, it's, it's very hard to see a diplomatic exit right now. And um, it's going to take a while. You know, you said something about overestimating Putin. But let me, let me bring it to China, because I think another mistake that we make in our foreign relations is that not only do we overestimate <clears throat> the capability of China, we also at times underestimate them. So one of the interesting questions is when China looks at the war in Ukraine, what conclusions do, does it draw? I prefer to leave that question open uh, because I think the jury is out. Uh, but I agree with you that uh, China is, is different in, uh, in uh, many ways. And the question, I think, for the free world is how to manage relations with China uh, where you have a combination of uh, rivalry, competition, and cooperation. And you want to manage all of them at one at the same time. It is obviously the uh, interest of the international community to cooperate with China on fighting the pandemic or on climate change or on such areas. But there's also uh, competition and rivalry, and that's very difficult to manage. You know, we're in the most uh, of the Jewish high holidays. This is a very important time for Jews around the world. And your grandfather was a rabbi. Let's talk uh, about your background and your father as a, a rabbi. And also, your note, you talk about your father was Israel's president, which is interesting. Uh, it's a very interesting history of service to your country and also to your faith. So I hail from a family of uh, public service. Almost all, all our ancestors and uh, all of our family members are in public service. Um, as I mentioned, my grandfather was a famous rabbi. He was a religious leader. 
He was uh, the chief rabbi of Ireland uh, during uh, the war on independence there and then became the first chief rabbi of uh, Palestine and then the state of Israel. Uh, he was not only a religious leader, he was a, a leader in many other ways. For example, following the Holocaust, he led a delegation for many months in Europe seeking to rescue uh, Jewish kids who were hidden from the Nazis during World War II in monasteries and elsewhere. And uh, he really undertook to save as many kids as possible, and he saved hundreds of them. He was a real uh, leader in every sense of uh, the word. Uh, my father was president of the State of Israel. So and your brother is currently uh, president. Uh, that's correct. So we all grew on, uh, on this sense that we have to do a public service to serve our people, and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, you know, um, you know I, I don't want this conversation become doom and gloom. So I want to take you back to your ancestral roots of what really shaped you as your faith and believing in something greater than oneself. Tell our audience what gives you hope amidst all this darkness around the world. What gives me hope really is uh, looking at the young generation in my country, looking at, uh, at my kids, at uh, their friends, there's a great young generation there full of initiative, full of uh, energy, full of hope. And they are moving ahead. They are not waiting for us. And they are uh, doing very good things for, for our country and beyond. And whenever I look at them, uh, given all the challenges that we face, I'm infused with hope. Is, is democracy dying? Democracy is challenged. Democracy is attacked. Democracy is threatened. Uh, and that's uh, not, only, uh, not only in our part of the world, but also uh, in the free world as well. I think we should not take democracy for granted. Uh, I think we, all of us who learned history, learned that uh, things can change to the worst. And sometimes without you uh, noticing it until it's too late, so we have to be on the alert, all of us, not take it for granted, and make sure that uh, we not only maintain democracy, but expand democracy. You know, when you think about the fact that Trump was elected as president of the United States, no one saw that coming, no one. And then you look at what's going on in Sweden. You look at what's going on in Italy. You look at Brazil. What is, what is sweeping the world? What is this undercurrent that nobody really is talking about? I think what we experienced uh, over the last few years was a, a wave of uh, populism in many countries. But if you look at the results of elections, uh, for example, those you mentioned, I think uh, you see more uh, a rise of uh, centrism in a way going back, you know, the pendulum swings all the time. It's always true from left to right to the middle. So it goes back, I think, uh, right now more to the middle. But I will be very careful in passing judgment on, on other countries. 
But it seems as though that many the issues are the same. Uh, we don't want the flood of migrants at our borders. We want to have some kind of um, stop, say, well, look, there's only so much we can take because it's impacting our economy. We don't want to be known as pronouns. Um, we, uh, this political correctness that you see in the United States, there seems to be a thread of morality in this that they're pushing back on. So I, I want to be very careful in, uh, in, comment, yeah. uh, in commenting on what's happening in the, this country. And here I have to wear my diplomatic hat yes. and, uh, and, and withhold comment. Well, so, but, but don't you think that there, there could be a revival that we may not see that could be sweeping the world? You know, we don't ever talk about, we talk about policy, but we don't ever talk about the spiritual illness of the world. You, as a rabbi, understands that better than just about anyone. Well, I, I do agree that uh, we have to exert uh, many more efforts in upbringing uh, morality as a value that guides not only um, simple uh, people, but politicians and leaders. Uh, I would like to see more of that. And finally, um, what, do you, what would you like for your legacy to be, and what do you hope to accomplish, accomplish in your tenure as the Israeli ambassador to our country? Well, I would like to uh, uh, do my best to enhance the, the U.S.-Israel relations. Uh, one of the main efforts uh, that I'm focused on is maintaining bipartisan support for the state of Israel. I believe Israel should be a bipartisan issue. I would like it uh, to not to be a partisan issue here, and I, I put a lot of effort into that. And the more we can do there, uh, the better. The basic relations between Israel and the U.S. are solid. No matter what you hear out there, there are strong relations. And as I said, there are relations not only between governments. There are relations between people very strong relations between people. I strongly believe in that. And the more I can do uh, to keep those relations going, flourishing, and maintain on a bipartisan level, uh, that's what I want to do. Thank you for listening to this week's episode.